invite you to open your Bibles and devices to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Today we're uh, starting a new series, just a little five-week series. We're taking a break from the Gospel of Mark uh, to look at an important issue that I think all of us to some degree, whether you're Christian or not, uh, wrestle with, and that is the issue of hope. Uh, What does it mean to hope? My assumption is that hope language is all over the world, all over our culture, and even the church, but few of us really know how to hope really know how to hope in the Lord in particular. Romans 5 gets to that by helping us to learn how to hope. And over these next five weeks, we're going to explore more of what that means as we talk about rising hope in particular. So would you please stand for the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Paul is speaking to the Romans, and this is what he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Hope. Um, It is an impulse that's in all of us. We all look forward to things as human beings. And uh, we often say things like, we hope to do this, we hope to do that. I hope it's true. It's all over our culture. And let's be honest, it's all over every uh, political campaign that comes through uh, our state, our region, our city, even our nation. It is a common thing. And in fact, hope shows up in Movies, famous movies, uh, think of President Snow in Hunger Games saying the following, Hope, it's the, it's the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. He's talking about strong hope, the dangers of strong hope. And that's what we all want and need in good times and in hard times. And one example of that would be uh, Jerry Sitzer. Uh, Jerry Sitzer had an experience of strong hope in a really tragic and hard time in his life. In 1991, Sitzer was coming home with his family in a minivan after they visited an Indian reservation. The family was on its way home when he noticed a car coming at them in the opposite direction. And it was coming very fast, so fast that it jumped the median and smashed headlong into their own car. And the results of that were tragic. And it's really, in a lot of ways, our worst nightmares as families and as individuals. Uh, that day, uh, his, uh, that, that accident instantly claimed the lives of Jerry Sitzer's wife, his youngest daughter, and his mother. Sitzer himself survived, uh, and he had to then 
follow up by caring for his three remaining children. And as you might imagine, this was a devastating experience for Jerry Sitzer, and he even wrote a book about the process of working through his grief that I highly recommend. It's called A Grace Disguised. For years, Sitzer uh, went through all kinds of mourning, even questions about God. He would wake up in the middle of the night with vivid images of the wreck. He prayed. He never got answers to why from God. But then the gospel captured him. Uh, he remembered the truths of the gospel, that God was there at the accident. He was there with his loved ones when they passed on and went to glory. God was there with the survivors like himself and others. God was there at that moment in time when the accident happened, and the same God was here with him right now. In short, over time and through great pain, God strengthened Jerry Sitzer's heart. Even in pain, Sister Sitzer's hope was rising, was getting bigger in an encounter with God himself. Romans 5 gets at this hope rising. Uh, hopes are easy fare for us normally. When times are good, we're up, aren't we? Like looking forward to the next thing, feeling good. But when things go bad, like the economy or our culture or even our life trajectory, we'll often go down and despair and wonder where it's all going. In Romans 5, Paul describes what amounts to a deep and lasting hope that grows as we fix our eyes on Christ. Paul shows us that trusting Jesus puts, on a, puts us all on a hopeful road where we not only see the future of Christ more clearly, but hope rises within us as we go through hard times. So here's our question for the day. How do we grow in this hope? In good times and especially during hard times, how can we experience hope rising like Jerry Sitzer experienced even when he went through one of the worst imaginable things you could go through? Well, Paul begins our text and our series of rising hope with this one word in verse 1. He starts with a therefore. And I'll just remember, when, when we're in Paul's argument of this book, when we see a therefore, we have to go backwards and see what it's there for. And Romans 3 and 4, which is prior to this, is famously about faith in Christ and, and our justification by faith. Justification by faith is when we trust in Christ alone for our salvation and we're saved once and for all from God's wrath because of Christ's righteousness covering us. Jesus' work alone gets us in with God. And starting with faith and justification, you already have a hope building up, knowing that we're in with God for eternity because of what Christ has done for us. So Paul explains justification by faith in these chapters. And then in the first half of Romans 5, he connects faith and hope which go together. Look at that verse with me. It says there, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, 
We also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Now, Paul is describing how faith and hope work together when he describes what we have right now by following Christ in life. In these verses, in verses 1 through 5, he says we have three things that, we, that are really ours when we trust Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. We have peace with God, access to grace, and joy in hope. Peace with God, access to grace, joy in hope. Now let's unpack these a little bit, which gets us further into this business of hoping. First, in verse 1, he says we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? Well, there are two angles to peace with God, and I think both of them are applicable here. We have peace with God externally, and we peace with God internally. Externally, the Bible teaches that we are sinners, and therefore we have this great chasm between us and God because we are at war with God in our natural state, sort of like Ukraine and Russia are at war right now. However, God sent Christ in history to bring peace between us and God by dying on the cross and taking God's wrath on himself once and for all. Through the cross, Jesus' death takes us from alienation from God to reconciliation and relationship with God. And that happens outside of us through what Christ has accomplished for us in history. However, peace with God is also inside of us. When we trust Christ by faith, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to live within us and to connect us with God in a vital and living relationship. That through the Holy Spirit, through that connection with the Lord, we can actually be at ease with God. Even though life can get really crazy, life can get hard, we hear and see painful things and experience painful things, we can have peace with God that transcends all understanding because of Christ. That's the first thing. Second thing is we have with God is access to grace. Once again, this happens outside of us. Jesus gets us in with God as the only true mediator between us and God. In other words, Jesus literally opens the door and escorts us into the throne room of God by virtue of all that he's done for us. Indeed, this word access in our text is sometimes used for privilege of being in the presence of someone important, particularly like a king. And add to that that we've been adopted as children into God's kingdom, and he is our father when we receive Christ by faith. That means you and I get access as children into the presence of the king, our father. Jesus accomplished that for us. Now, inside of us, you can actually experience grace because of that access. We get the love of God given to us, poured into us, as we'll talk about in a moment. You get the leadership of Christ and the comfort and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
And guys, these are things we can have right now as followers of Jesus. Now, in verse 2, Paul lists the third thing that we have in Christ right now. He lists hope. Now, what is biblical hope? Well, hope is also outside of us and inside of us. For example, when we talk about hope being outside of us, that's a gospel vision of God's salvation and future that awaits us. When we talk about hope inside of us, we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit that motivates us and moves us in Christ with that longing for him in the future. In other words, we hope in something and we experience hoping. They both are true. Specifically, Paul says we have joy or boasting in the hope of the glory of God. You see that in our text? Now, what in the world is the hope of the glory of God? Is it For example, the deliverances that we can experience in this life, in real-life providential moments where God comes through for us in amazing ways, well, certainly, God's glory shows up when he rescues us in those ways. Is it the cluster of events that happen at Christ's return? When Jesus will come back, he will resurrect all men and all the world, he will restore creation, and he will bring final justice on the earth and in the universe. Now, that's all great stuff, too, and it's coming, and that's a part of the hope of the glory of God. However, here in this text, the hope of the glory of God that we boast of or have unspeakable joy about is being with God and seeing as Christ personally in eternity. This is what we call the beatific vision of God himself as our very great reward, our ultimate prize. Heaven and the, heaven, the new heavens and the new earth will be great as an experience. Even heaven that awaits us, this side of Christ's return is a beautiful thing. But do not think for a minute that they will eclipse the wonders of God in all his glory and beauty and majesty. That's what we're going to enjoy forever. Him personally. Now, what's all this got to do with us? Well, let me make an important connection of what happens with us in hope. Notice how Paul goes from faith to hope in our text. Did you see that? How he goes from faith to hope? That's because they go together. Faith and hope always go together. In fact, hope is future-looking faith. Christ is the very basis of our hope. Faith is the instrument of which we gain hope. So let me put it this way. Or let me say as John Bunyan once said, no faith, no hope. No faith, no hope. The beauty of this is we can also say, no Christ, no hope. If you want a lasting and deep hope that gets bigger and, and, and even thrives in life while things are really hard, you must make Christ the foundation of that hope by seeking him in faith. That's what hope is born of, faith in Christ alone. 
Now let's, you know, let's talk about real life here. We build our hope on so many flimsy things. But when you build your hope on Christ, it not only sticks, it rises up. Now, how is that possible? Well, I like to say something at funerals I typically do, and I've done a lot of funerals. I could tell some amazing stories, like my very first funeral being one of a murdered person, but we'll come back to it another time, okay? One of the things that uh, was interesting, that is interesting in all this, is when I'm at a funeral, I often say this. When it comes to hope, there is one great equalizer for all men in life, and that's death. The big question for every one of us, whether you follow Jesus or not, is what are you going to do with death? The problem with other religions or no religion is this. They have no answers for death. And sometimes I like to say, you have philosophical guesses. We have a historic and resurrected Christ in history. You see, our God makes dead things live. Jesus is alive right now, and that is the basis of hope for all of us who call Jesus Lord. So i got to ask everyone here, and I've been asking this to myself, what is your hope built on? Circumstance? Politics? Lord have mercy. The Panthers or your favorite team? Oh, that could be even worse. If you want hopes to rise, even when things get hard, the starting point is seeking God by faith in a resurrected Christ. That's where it all starts. Now, some of us here uh, who are watching online or who are here today need to do that for the first time. You need to do it for the first time. What are you going to do with death? How will you handle that? Ignoring it is not helpful. What do you have even in hard moments like that? Now, for the experienced believers who are here today, we are no different. Seeking by faith is how we gain hope. Seeking by faith is forward-looking. It's even practicing hope. Seeking Jesus is our Practice for seeing him face-to-face in heaven. Remember, if your hope is small, no faith, no hope. Trust in Christ to gain real hope. Now, you know, as I was going this week, I was thinking, what is hope actually like? What's the whole process of hope like as we live our lives? Well, the analogy I came up with is this. A lot of us here are like hiking in the mountains, doing things like that, or even going on good walks. But imagine this. Imagine you're walking on a narrow mountain path with Christ. You start the path when Jesus says, follow me, and you're walking through all these beautiful places, these gorgeous views, and you can see Jesus, and it feels like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is marvelous. But then let's imagine as you're walking the path on a high mountain, narrow paths, kind of steep ways down, that a fog bank rolls in. Suddenly you realize you can't see but a few steps in front of you, and all of a sudden you can't see Jesus even. You can hear him, but you can't see him. Now here's the tendency of many in the fog bank. We tend to panic. We tend to panic. 
saying, I can hear Jesus, but I can't see him. So I'm going to get off this path and go make my own path. That's what I'm going to do. But you got to understand, the fog bank is a test. Faith gets you on the path with Jesus. Hope is what keeps you on the path with Jesus. Paul is laying out some really good stuff here. When things get hard in life, he gives us blessings that we have on the path, peace, grace, joy, hope. I mean, good night. Those are wonderful things. But then he expands on hope by talking about a shocking joy that leads to more hope. Look at verse 3 with me. This is just like, what? Here it is. Verse 3, he says, We rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Rejoicing in sufferings. Didn't see that coming. We have joy or boast when times are good, but joy and suffering, that's not what we normally expect. When We don't get happy when the fog bank rolls in and can't see. Now, this was very convicting for me this week. As I've been walking in the fog bank a little lately myself, and I especially found myself complaining about some of my difficulties. <laughs> now, when some of us suffer, we'll complain or some of us will go stoic. But Paul says here there's a different way. It's rejoicing. And you got to say, how is that possible? That you rejoice in hard times, in really sometimes very difficult times. Well, Paul lays out what I call the golden chain of hope with a series of linked things that happen to us when our hope is tested in suffering. These linked things build our hope in the Lord. And he starts by saying, Paul saying, he knows that, uh, we know rather, that suffering produces something. Endurance, uh, character, hope. Now let's unpack this a little bit. He says, knowing that, meaning we can be confident that suffering will produce endurance. Now, how can we be confident? How can we know? Well, Paul is talking about confidently knowing because we remember something. We remember something. We remember the gospel of what God's done in history, in the scriptures. And we can, that builds confidence in us. We remember what God has done in our lives to rescue us once and for all at the cross, and when we receive him by faith, but also in the stuff of life where he's come through for us again and again and again. I mean, how many times in Scripture did God promise something and then came through? Think about Moses and the Exodus. God promised to rescue it and bring them to their own land as slaves, and he did it. Think about the promise of rebuilding Jerusalem after God had destroyed it in judgment in 586 B.C. He did it with guys like Ezra, Nehemiah, and that fun name, Zerubbabel. He did it. And then we were just studying the book of Mark, in Mark chapters 8 through 10, where Jesus promised that he would die and be resurrected. 
before he died. And sure enough, he was. You see, the promise of God in Scripture shows us God comes through again and again. And I'm going to say something here that's absolutely difficult to to swallow in American postmodern, post-Christian culture, but I'm going to say it. Promises bring certainty to our hope. Certainty. When we take into account the bigness of the God of the promise, we can know with certainty from gospel promises because our big Christ is alive. Let me unpack this a little more. When Paul goes on to talk about suffering producing something, like endurance, and endurance producing character, character produces hope, this producing is not a random thing. (laughs) It's an act of the sovereign God where he actually works in our lives, our experiences, our troubles with a purpose. God uses suffering suffering to do something with us. It is not wasted. Now let me talk about suffering a little bit here. There are two kinds of evils or even the experience of suffering that we encounter in the world. We've got moral evil and suffering at the hands of sinful men. And dare I say it, that's even our own sin getting in the way and we live with the consequences of our fallenness. Then there is natural evil and suffering from things that we have no clear responsibility for. That would be cancer or natural disasters, even tragedies. God uses both kinds of suffering as a kind of Spartan race, CrossFit on steroids for our hearts to grow us in new faith and in new hope. I love what Tom Schreiner says about God's sovereign use of suffering. He says our hardships conspire to produce greater hopes. (laughs) Isn't that good? Now that plays out in the golden chain of hope where Paul talks about the hope of God's glory in verse 2 and then he talks about hope again in verse 5. Did you notice that in our text? What is he doing here? I mean, don't we already have hope in verse 2? Why do we need, why is he talking about hope again in verse 5? Well, even Christians need to grow in hope. And, and, and suffering is the thing that God uses to shape our hope. To shape our hope in him. Now that's just not making our external hope for Christ in heaven a greater longing. And if you've been through any suffering, you, you do have that saying in your heart, come quickly, Lord Jesus, this is really hard. <laughs> but it also includes the internal hope that's going on within us. Now, let me, let me get to why this, what this has to do with us today. John Piper wrote a book years ago called Don't Waste Your Life. Paul has another angle here. Don't waste the pain. Don't waste the pain. It's a new opportunity to hope in the Lord to get a bigger view and see God in a new way. So what is God after in our suffering? We're going to talk more about the golden chain and the sermons that are coming up over the next few weeks. Um, But I want to highlight a few points about the golden chain here. First, suffering produces endurance. 
Endurance is that patient overcoming as you rely on the Lord and long for salvation more and more. Endurance uh, builds waiting in us, waiting on the Lord. And God uses that waiting to root out our easy believism and our false hopes. Think for a second about the thing that feels hopeless and futile in your life right now. And every one of us has something. I've got it. I can think of it right now. Maybe it's a chronic sickness. Maybe it's the ache of a tragedy. Maybe it's watching disasters and war and cultural decline. Maybe life is full of midlife disappointments. Maybe you're just naturally an Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh with, like, oh, bother. Do not think that Paul is saying that we get clappy happy in pain. We all as Christians still lament like David does in so many of the Psalms, like Jesus did throughout his life, lamenting over sin and the brokenness of the world. The issue of endurance is this, is that we stay the course. We stay on the path in the fog bank when our flesh is screaming, get off the road. And after all, Jesus himself did this. Hebrews 12 says, he endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. You hear that? The joy set before him? That's hope. That's hope. When you're struggling to endure, pray. Go and ask God to show himself to you through his word. Prayer is where you actually learn to patiently wait on the Lord. Paul goes on, endurance produces character. And what does he mean by this? Well, suffering reveals us. We all know this practically. And that's true even when our suffering is not of our own making. David even, in some of his psalms, prayed for his own forgiveness when his enemies were attacking him. Why is that? Because idols and sin lurk within. And even when we, we are unrighteously uh, wounded by people, things are brought up within us. Despair and fear of men are often exposed. You know, one thing that's happened to me in ministry is that the Lord has persistently revealed my need for respect and the approval of men. Criticism, even resistance to my leadership, usually reveals sin and idols in me, and that's been a historic thing. And when we are revealed in the crucible of trouble, God calls us to do one thing. Repent. Repent. Repentance is turning to him again. Not just giving up the behavior, but turning to him and engaging him personally in a living relationship. Do you ever wonder why people don't change? Why even Christians struggle to change? It's because they don't hope. Hope feeds repentance because you actually can believe that if I give up sin, I will gain something better in following Jesus. Where do you need to repent? Hope in Christ. To build on that, Paul tells us character produces hope. 
Or we might say repentance and growth leads to more hope. What in the world does this mean? Character produces hope. Man, when I first read this, I was like, what is that saying? Well, when people in culture, and even our church, talk about hope, we usually talk about visions of change that we want out there, out there in the world. How many times in marriage do we want our spouses to change? How many times do we think if our culture or those people over there would just get their act together, then everything would be better? But the problem with hope today is that it's almost always and exclusively external and this-worldly. Real hope addresses our need for change. Our need for change. What Paul is talking about is when we experience growth in the middle of hard, uh, hard times, it is evidence that God can change anything in any circumstance, including and starting with us. That's where hope follows. <laughs> you start to think, wow. If God can transform me in this really hard time, he can change anything and anybody in the world. This is a kind of experiential feedback loop where we have the hope of heaven and seeing Christ in verse 2, but then God is working through our struggles to build in us a bigger hope a deeper and broader hope that's growing and more and more fixed on Christ, like verse 5 is talking about. And the fruit of big hope is this. You ready? Big faith, big hope equals big love. Big love. Have you ever wondered why it's so hard to love a certain person more deeply, more generously? I mean, why is it so hard to love our enemies And people who set themselves against us, it's because our faith and our hope are small. No faith, no hope. No hope, no love. Big faith and big hope in Christ leads to big love. And if God can change us into lovers, think of the big things he can do through us to love a world that even sets itself against us in some circumstances. But that brings us to the final point of our text. In hard times, does God want us to love and change the world? The answer is yes. But there is something that must happen first. Look at verse 5 with me, and this is really crucial. It says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is telling us, That when suffering happens, we normally are used to feeling shame. Shame of some kind. We think, this has come upon me because of my sin. Or my life is not very together and it looks kind of bad to all my friends. Or I don't have much respect because my struggles seem so blinding to other people. But when Christ is working in our lives with hope rising we actually can experience the honor of God in our lives. And how is that? Well, God shows up personally with his love in the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ dignifies us by by meeting with us in our suffering and loving us well. He pours this love out on us. That's a language of generosity. He's pouring and giving and giving 
And that happens all the way through the golden chain of faith. He's loving us all the way through. Now, this has several big implications for us. Let's say you're in a conflict with someone and it's gone bad. Maybe at work, maybe it's a family relationship, extended family, something like that. Hope in Christ leads us to do all we can do to reconcile with a person we're in conflict with. Why? Because if we're seeking the Lord by faith and hope, he will show up and fill us with love so that we can give love, not just try and pull love out of other people. If you want to reach out and share the gospel with someone, but are afraid sharing the gospel might endanger the relationship, Jesus shows up and ministers to us, reminding us that he's with us and he's going to love us, even when we take the risk of sharing the gospel with someone. Hope, in other words, helps us do hard things like conflict and like sharing our faith. But here's the most important application for this last verse. When you go through the golden chain of hope with God's love being poured out with the Spirit all the way through, you are getting a taste of heaven with Christ. You'll get a taste of what it's like to be with Jesus and see him face to face because he's pouring into you his love and his presence. He's helping you to know him even more and in a bigger way so that you see him more clearly. And Jesus is doing everything in his power to kill off sin and idols so that we fall in love with him more and more in renewal. Let me ask you, do you long for that? Do you long to know more and more? He wants to show you himself in that golden chain of hope. Indeed, the golden chain of hope is about new life in Christ we experience over and over again. Jesus wants this new hope rising in you and in me so he becomes Lord of our life even more. What are you feeling despair about today? What feels like futility and like this is just not happening? I want to give up and go home. Don't look at those things. Look to the Lord and resurrected Christ He wants to meet you and show you himself anew so that you can have a hope that's rising. Let's pray. Father, sure as uh, we go today to you and we talk about the difficulties of life and suffering, I know it stirs up a lot of things for all of us, including me. I pray that you would meet us even as we come to the table. And that we would get a sense of hope as we sit with you and each other and remember the story of the gospel. That hope is rising because you're our living Christ and we can be with you right here, right now, personally. Pour your love into us, even in these next moments. We all need it. We all feel it. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.